Welcome back, Hemming Brain people, to the Book 12, Chapter 5 podcast. As Moscow burns, Nikolai is in the midst of aristocratic drama. Do you find the tonal shift between the war and the peace chapters jarring at all? Jarring, yeah, it is abrupt in this sense, in this section, I should say. Um, it's, an, it's a more abrupt jump from War to Peace than in other sections of the book. Uh, jarring? I don't know, jarring. Noticeable. I'd say noticeable. Who do you believe Nikolai will end up with? And do you have similar moments of stupid whimsy that lead to enormous consequences? Twisted Every Way says, Oh, poor Sonia, I'm fairly sure Nikolai is going to do what his family wants and marry Maya to save the family fortune. I would imagine after the war their finances will be even worse in even more dire straits. Robert X says, I agree. Those were my thoughts. I feel that Sonia will be left behind. Maya is such a drag too. Gah. Fragrant Squirrel 99 says, I think Nikolai is going to marry Maya. Poor, sweet Sophie or Sonia. And Warren Kovoffi says, Basically feeling Nikolai was looking for someone to talk him into marrying Maya and he found that person in the governess. It feels, sorry, it does seem like he's genuinely interested in Maya and not just her fortune, so that is a positive You know, what the governess was saying made a lot of sense. I do feel for Sonia. And for Nikolai. But uh, that what she says about, like, if he did end up with Sonia, they would be broke, and Sonia would forever be guilty about the fact that, you know, she's the one that sent the family broke, essentially. And that kind of makes sense, you know? I get that. I don't see how there's any way that that could work with that hanging over their heads. So maybe it was never going to be. Plus, they're cousins, so that's gross. Chapter 6 goes like this. On reaching Moscow after her meeting with Rostov, Princess Mary had found her nephew there with his tutor and a letter from Prince Andrei giving her instructions how to get to her aunt Malvintseva at Ferenz. That feeling akin to temptation which had tormented her during her father's illness since his death and especially since her meeting with Rostov was smothered by arrangements for the journey. Anxiety about her brother, settling in a new house, meeting new people and attending to her nephew's education. She was sad. Now, after a month passed in quiet surroundings, she felt more and more deeply the loss of her father which was associated in her mind with the ruin of Russia. She was agitated and incessantly tortured by the thought of the dangers to which her brother, the only intimate person now remaining to her, was exposed. She was worried, too, about her nephew's education, for which she had always felt herself incompetent, but in the depths of her soul she felt at peace, a peace arising from consciousness of having stifled those personal dreams and hopes that had been on the point of awakening within her and were related to her meeting with Rostov. The day after her party, the governor's wife came to the Malvintseva and, after discussing her plan with the aunt, remarked that though under present circumstances a formal betrothal was of course not to be thought of, 
All the same, the young people might be brought together and could get to know one another. Malvin Seva expressed approval and the governor's wife began to speak of Rostov in Mary's presence, praising him and telling how he had blushed when Princess Maya's name was mentioned. But Princess Maya experienced a painful rather than joyful feeling. Her mental tranquility was destroyed and desires, doubts, self-reproach and hopes reawoke. During the two days that elapsed, before Rostov called Princess Maya, continually thought of how she ought to behave to him. First, she dedicated not to come. Sorry, first she decided not to come to the drawing room when he called to see her aunt. That it would not be proper for her, in her deep mourning, to receive visitors. Then she thought this would be rude after what he had done for her. Then it occurred to her that her aunt and the governor's wife had intentions concerning herself and Rostov. Their looks and words at times seemed to confirm this supposition. Then she told herself that she that only she, with her sinful nature, could think of this of could think this of them. They could not forget that situated as she was, while still wearing deep mourning, such matchmaking would be an insult to her and to her father's memory. Assuming that she did go down to see him, Princess Mary imagined the words he would say to her and what she would say to him, and these words sometimes seemed undeservedly cold and then to mean too much. More than anything, she feared lest the confusion she felt might overwhelm her and betray her as soon as she saw him. But when on Sunday after church the footman announced in the drawing room that Count Rostov had called, the princess showed no confusion. Only a slight blush suffused her cheeks and her eyes lit up with a new and radiant light. You have met him, aunt, said she in a calm voice, unable herself to understand that she could be outwardly so calm and natural. When Rostov entered the room, the princess dropped her eyes for an instant as if to give the visitor time to greet her aunt, and then, just as Nicholas turned to her, she raised her head and met his look with shining eyes. With a movement full of dignity and grace, she half rose with a smile of pleasure, held out her slender, delicate hand to him, and began to speak in a voice in which, for the first time, new, deep, womanly notes vibrated. Mademoiselle Boreen, who was in the drawing room, looked at Princess Maya in bewildered surprise. Herself a consummate coquette, she could not have manoeuvred better on meeting a man she wished to attract. Either black is particularly becoming to her, or she really has greatly improved without my having noticed it. And above all, what tact and grace, thought Mademoiselle Boreen. Had Princess Mary been capable of reflection at that moment, she would have been more surprised than Mademoiselle Boreen at the change that had taken place in herself. From the moment she recognised that dear, loved face, a new life force took possession of her and compelled her to speak and act apart from her own will. From the time Rostov entered, her face became suddenly transformed. It was as if a light had been kindled in a carved and painted lantern and the intricate, skilful, artistic work on its sides that previously seemed dark, coarse, and meaningless, was suddenly shown up in unexpected and striking beauty. For the first time, all that pure spiritual inward travail through which she had lived appeared on the surface, all her inward labor, her dissatisfaction with herself, or her sufferings, her strivings after goodness, her meekness, love, and self-sacrifice, all this now shone in those radiant eyes, in her delicate smile and in every trait of her gentle face. Rostov saw all this as clearly as if 
he had known her whole life. He felt that the being before him was quite different from and better than anyone he had met before, and above all, better than himself. Their conversation was very simple and unimportant. They spoke of the war, and like everyone else, unconsciously exaggerated their sorrow about it. They spoke of their last meeting, Nicholas trying to change the subject. They talked of the governor's kind wife, of Nicholas's relations, and of Princess Mary's. She did not talk about her brother, diverting the conversation as soon as her aunt mentioned Andrew. Evidently, she could speak of Russia's misfortunes with a certain artificiality, but her brother was too near her heart, and she neither could nor would speak lightly of him. Nicholas noticed this, as he noticed every shade of Princess Maya's character with an observation unusual to him, and everything confirmed his conviction that she was a quite unusual and extraordinary being. Nicholas blushed and was confused when people spoke to him about the princess, as she did when he was mentioned, and even when he thought of her, but in her presence he felt quite at ease, and said not at all what he had prepared, but what quite appropriately occurred to him at the moment. When a pause occurs during his short visit, Nicholas, as is usual when there are children, turned to Prince Andre's little son, caressing him and asking whether he would like to be an hussar. He took the boy on his knee, played with him and looked round at Princess Maya. With a softened, happy, timid look, he watched the boy she loved in the arms of the man she loved. Nicholas also noticed that look and, as if understanding it, flushed with pleasure and began to kiss the boy with good-natured playfulness. As she was in the morning, sorry, as she was in mourning, Princess Maya did not go out into society, and Nicholas did not think it the proper thing to visit her again, but, all the same, the governor's wife went on with her matchmaking, passing on to Nicholas the flattering things Princess Maya said of him, and vice versa, and insisting on his declaring himself to Princess Maya. For this purpose, she arranged a meeting between the young people at the bishop's house before Mass, Though Rostov told the governor's wife that he would not make any declaration to Princess Maya, he promised to go. As at Tilsit, Rostov had not allowed himself to doubt that what everybody considered right was right, so now, after a short but sincere struggle between his effort to arrange his life by his own sense of justice and in obedient submission to circumstances, he chose the latter and yielded to the power of he felt irresistibly, carrying him he knew not where. He knew that after his promise to Sonia it would be what he deemed based to declare his feelings to Princess Maya, and he knew that he would never act basely. But he also knew, or rather felt at the bottom of his heart, that by resigning himself now to the force of circumstances and to those who were guiding him, he was not only doing nothing wrong, but he was doing something very important, more important than anything he had ever done in his life. After meeting Princess Maya, though the course of his life went on externally, as before, all his former amusements lost their charm for him and he often thought about her, but he never thought about her as he had thought of all the young ladies without exception whom he had met in society, nor as he had for a long time, and at one time rapturously thought about Sonia. He had pictured each of those young ladies as almost all honest-hearted young men do, that is, as a possible wife adapting her in his imagination to all the conditions of married life, a white dressing gown, his wife at the tea table, his wife's carriage, 
little ones, mama and papa, their relations to her son and so on, and these pictures of the future had given him pleasure. But with Princess Maya, to whom they were trying to get him engaged, he could never picture anything of a future married life. If he tried, his pictures seemed incongruous and false. It made him afraid. Alright, there we go. Another chapter for you. Nicholas tossing up his options here. Alright, thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.